hi, welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. Um, and I'm Dan here with another solo episode, and I am going to be talking about marriage in this episode, um, and specifically surrounding the question for us as Christians, should we get married? Um, now, uh, probably a bunch of people listening to this are already married, um, but I wanna think about this as a broader question because this is a question that is being asked more broadly in our culture, and especially among younger people. Um, sort of the idea that marriage is the automatic destiny of people is not something that we can uh, assume anymore. There was a time where it seemed like it was the almost automatic destiny of most people, that it was gonna be very, very much the norm and people who ended up never being married were gonna be the exception to the rule. Um, but things are happening as far as uh, fewer people getting married and then people getting married later. And then going along with that, a lot of people having kids later, which I'm gonna be talking mostly about marriage, but I, I am gonna talk about children also. And it, just so that I don't have to clarify this every time, I'm gonna sort of work under the assumption that going along with the choice to get married is gonna be the choice to have kids. Um, I know that that's not true in every single case, and I know that there are people who want to have kids who are incapable of having kids, um, but uh, I'm, I'm just gonna talk about that because I think that that is the norm. I think that we should go into that with that being the norm. Um, but but as, uh, as things have unfolded over the past couple of decades, we have seen the age of marriage raising up. Now, uh, you know, I, I was married um, to my wife uh, in 2001. We were both 22 years old. Um, now, at the time, we were on the younger side, um, but we, we weren't sort of shockingly young. Uh, at the time, we, we knew a lot of people our age who were getting married. It, it wasn't this bizarre thing to people. The, part of that is the crowd that we were around. But, but anyway, it, it wasn't strange. Um, I, I'd say today in 2023, even in the context of the church where people might be more disposed to get married a little bit earlier, um, it still sort of takes people off guard today. If you were to see somebody getting married at the age of 22, be like, wow, like that they're so young that they're just babies getting going in this. Um, and the national average for women, the, the statistics vary a little bit, but for women, the average age of marriage is between 27 and 28, and the average age of marriage for men is between 29 and 30. And so it, these are much higher than it was several decades ago that they, they've kind of steadily been raising. Um, and also along with that, the average age of having your first child um, for both men and women is around 27. And so it's something interesting um, that you can even do the math with, Part of what goes into that statistic is not everybody has children, and so if you have a if you're you're limiting the category already to those who end up having children, and also it certainly is not an assumption that we can make today that if you have a child you're getting married and then having a child, because by the statistics I've seen that about fifty percent of kids are born into families that where where the mom and the dad are married, um, about twenty five percent into couples who are cohabitating, and then maybe about another 25% for couples that are not married and not cohabitating. So you can't make the assumption that you're getting married. So it's it's interesting because at least for men, the average age of first birth is lower than the average age of marriage, which again, some of that is explained by the fact that not every man who gets married has children, but either way that that's higher, that, that age is getting higher. And we even see this happening, especially for women, because the biology for women is that there's a smaller window where they're gonna be able to have children than there is for men, that, that there can be this sort of 
pushing off and making the window even smaller. You know, even at 22, when my wife and I got married, which was young, culturally considered, uh, throughout the course of human history, that's not that young. Uh, A lot of times you'd be getting married uh, much closer to the time that you became sort of sexually capable of having children. And so there's a longer period of time in which you could have children. Um, from From the time that we had our first child to the time that we had our last child, we were right on the verge of our pregnancy being like a high risk pregnancy, which which we were not that old. And at the same time that the window is smaller. So I, I bring this up because um, for some people that they're going to look at this and say, that sounds fine. I don't see any problem with that. For, for others of us, there might be this sense of like, right, th- this is a problem. We want people getting married and we want people not delaying marriage. And, and I think for some sort of the assumption, and it's not completely unfounded, but the assumption is that the reason why people are not getting married or are waiting longer to get married is because they're avoiding responsibility. Once again, this, this is not totally unfounded, but I think part of what's going on is that that there's you know maybe a chunk of us that says, hey, you, you should settle down, you should get married, you should sort of embrace adulthood and, and take full responsibility for your life. Um, and there might be a group of others that say, well, well, maybe for some of them, they're saying, no, I, I don't want to take on that responsibility. But others might just be saying, hey, I, I'm going to take on the responsibility of adulthood and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to look to have a place that I can le- live and I'm going to look to support myself. But marriage or, or maybe marriage, but not children, that's just not something that I'm interested in. And then sort of the rejoinder might be that we would come back and say, well, you won't be fulfilled unless you find that one person out there for you. And you won't be fulfilled unless you have children. And then the response, we start getting into anecdotal things here. You you can look at studies, and there are a lot of studies that show that in general, um, people who are married and people that have families and have children are more happy, although that it's tricky because it gets into self-reporting. But but we all have anecdotes, and somebody's going to say, "All right, well, that's fine. Uh, other people may be happy with that. I'm not. I'm much more happy in having the freedom that I can just sort of do what I want. I'm not taking kids to school. I'm not taking kids to sporting events, or even sort of I'm I'm not married, and I get to just sort of decide what I'm going to do with my life, even if I'm not living a a sexually active lifestyle. So even if the person is saying, "Well, no, I'm I'm a Christian, and I'm committed to uh, to staying sex." pure, but I'm just not interested in marriage. Uh, I think the interesting thing is that a lot of times the debate seems to revolve around the idea of, do you need marriage and children to be fulfilled? Um, and maybe those on the more conservative side are saying, yes, you do. That This is what brings meaning into your life. And those who might be on the more progressive side might say, well, no, you don't. There's other things that can bring meaning into life. What I want to do in this episode is I want to frame the conversation in a different way, because I think that as believers in Jesus, the question that we should be asking when it's revolving around, should I get married or should I not get married, is not which one will fulfill me more. Even though I sit before you as somebody that I'm I'm incredibly grateful for my wife, I'm so glad that I'm married to her, I've been married to her for almost half my life now, I am so grateful I have children, it is I get very sad when I think about, gosh, what would my life be like if I didn't have children? So uh, in some ways, I'm over here as like a very satisfied customer um, for marriage and for children. But the bigger question is not, will this fulfill me? The bigger question is, what has God called me to? 
And, and I think that what's important is this speaks to both sides of this. So that if somebody is fixated on marriage and is just sort of like, well, well, my life won't begin until I find that woman or until I find that man, until we start having babies, until we sort of build a life together, we've got to pause and say, but, but wait a second, what is God calling you to? And how central a place should the pursuit of marriage have in what God is calling you to? And on the other hand, if somebody's saying, I don't feel like I need marriage in order to be fulfilled, that sort of is a very self-serving equation where you're saying my personal fulfillment is at the center of the question, whether I'm pursuing marriage or whether I'm pursuing singleness. And what I wanna say is I don't think that that should be at the center of the equation. I think at the center of the equation should be what is God's calling for us. And 1 Corinthians 7 is, is a strange passage in the Bible. And it's one where the Apostle Paul talks a lot about this subject. I, I wanna read some different parts of it because he talks about marriage and he talks about singleness and he talks about marriage in some very pragmatic ways that are sort of non-romantic. And he talks about singleness in a very positive way that was very unique. It would be less unique today, but is pretty unique to the ancient world. So let me start off just with the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Um, now, now there's a, a lot to be unpacked here, including the fact that there's debate over when Paul says, um, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, which seems to be equivalent uh, to saying, it's good for a man to stay celibate and not get married. Um, the, the idea behind that seems to be that maybe that's something where he's quoting a truism that was going on in Corinth, that some people were saying, hey, the real spiritual life is just the celibate life. Um, and that Paul is responding to that. Um, it's possible that that's what's going on, that he's bringing correction to, to a view that they have. Although the way that he talks about it, he seems to be granting at least some legitimacy to it because his preference is for people to remain single. He, he thinks it's a great thing for people to remain single, to remain celibate, and end up being freed up to serve the Lord. In fact, he, he says later on in the passage, when he talks about marriage, he says, if you marry, you will face troubles in this life. He says, starting in verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. And then he says the, the same thing about an unmarried woman versus a married woman. So on the one hand, Paul is wanting to prize the idea of singleness. He says, this is great. I, I can go and travel where I want. I'm not worried uh, about bringing support to a wife and to children. I'm not worried about when I'm putting myself in danger that I'm leaving them high and dry. So he, he's saying that this is great. I can serve the Lord in a freed up way. Paul also seems to grant that the norm is going to be marriage. He, he says, all right, because of sexual immorality, it's best for a man to, you know, to, and, and some people will claim that what he's saying is that there were some married people who are staying celibate. That's possible. That's what's going on. I think the more straightforward approach is that he's just saying, it's good for a man to get married. It's good for a woman to get married. Um, he, he goes on and says, um, he says this at, at the end of um, this first section uh, in verses six and seven, um, when he talks about getting married, he says, I, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that you all were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, one has an, uh, that gift. And so the idea here is that it, he, he is saying, hey, I, 
I personally think that it would be great if everybody just stayed single and, and were unattached and were able to serve the Lord in that way. But he says, hey, I, I understand people are going to get married. Um, he even says later on, a, cu a couple of verses later, he says, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry for it is better to burn, uh, better to marry than to burn with passion. So the idea here is he's acknowledging like, all right, we, we do have sexual desires. And as I'll talk about a little bit later, um, marriage is the proper place for sexual expression in that way. And so he sees that as a valid reason to get married. But but here's the bigger point to all this, and this is what I think is so important. If we are having the debate and we're saying, hey, you should get married younger because that's where real fulfillment lies, um, that, that's actually not what Paul teaches. Paul, Paul has big thumbs up on the single life and on the celibate single life, not, not sort of the swinging single life, on the celibate single life. And the reason he is, is because he says, this frees you up to serve the Lord. Now, this is an important correction to anybody, especially to any Christian who's saying, I don't want to get married because I don't want the responsibility. I, I don't want to have kids because I don't want to deal with all that. It's a lot of trouble to have kids. Um, Paul, Paul would say, no, no, you're not understanding me. If you were to look to Paul and say, say he wanted people to stay single, not for that reason. He didn't want people to stay single so that they could selfishly just sort of indulge what they want to do. It was so that they could use that freedom to serve the Lord. So once again, we got to ask the question of calling. And marriage is a wonderful calling that God gives us, and God gives most of us, just most human beings. Um, singleness is a gift and a calling that God gives some of us. All of us, at least for a season of time, are single. And then some of us are single for much longer than others. And then some of us are single for our entire lives. These are both callings. So the question is not which one is going to fulfill me more. The question is, what is God calling you to? And I think what's going to end up happening is there's going to be some people who have the desire for marriage, who God is going to call, at least for an extended season of time, to singleness. And they're going to be able to use that singleness in a unique way for him. And there's going to be some other people that might be a little bit of a harder sell on marriage, might be a bit more reluctant, daunted by the responsibility and by the commitment and by the child raising. But God is going to call into that because there's a great value in doing that. These are two powerful callings. And by the way, one of the reasons it's so important to think about this as a calling is because when you get married and you aren't utterly fulfilled because you won't be. Your, your wife, your husband, they, they can't do that for you. When you're not utterly fulfilled, our culture will say, well, you need to get out of that and either you need to love yourself so that you're just fulfilled on your own or you need to find the person who's gonna fulfill you. No, if marriage is a calling, then part of what God is doing is he is shaping you through that person that you're married to. He has called you to them. And so, Here's what I wanna do with the rest of the time. If, if we have that framework, and if we say, all right, the real question is not which one is gonna fulfill me more, the real question is what is God calling me to? Then what I wanna do is I wanna talk about five reasons to get married. Now, when I talk about this, I'm not naming these five reasons to try to convince everybody who's listening that you should get married or you should pursue marriage. I still think that 
it should be the norm. And it's an appropriate thing for it to be the norm amongst Christians. Um, in fact, I think that this is one of the ways that we can stand out in our culture is that we're taking on the responsibility and the commitment of marriage, even when a lot of people are cynical about it. Um, but, but I'll give five reasons to get married. And by giving these reasons, it also gives a point of evaluation to say, okay, that's what I would be getting into if God called me to marriage, but maybe he hasn't called me to those things. Um, so five reasons to get married. The first is that marriage shows the gospel to the world in a unique way. Um, in Ephesians 5, Paul, the, the same Paul who's saying, hey, you know, all right, get married if you can't hack it, if you don't have enough self-control to, to live a celibate life and get married, but realize there's going to be troubles in this world because you're going to be distracted by your spouse. This is the same Paul that in Ephesians 5 says that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And I, I love when I get to officiate weddings because I get to talk about this at the wedding. At every wedding, this is on display, that the bride is coming up dressed beautifully in white, and she represents the church that's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And, um, and then you have the groom who's, who's all dressed up and ready to receive his bride, and he represents Christ who will always care for his bride and will sacrifice for her. We have this beautiful picture. Um, now, all of our lives, single or married, all of our lives for us as believers in Jesus are meant to reflect the gospel, and, and we have opportunities to shine the light of the gospel, but marriage does it in a unique way that we shouldn't just shrug our shoulders at. Marriage is a way that the gospel is put on display because marriage done right means that you have a husband who is sacrificially loving and leading and caring for and protecting his bride in a way that points people toward how Jesus treats us as his church, as his people. And you have a bride who is respecting and building up and partnering with and submitting to and, and yielding to the leadership of her husband in a way that reflects this is the kind of trust that we as the church have in our Lord, Jesus. It's an opportunity to reflect the gospel. Um, now, you could take this and you could say, well, if this is the case, then everybody should pursue marriage because everybody should get in on this. Um, so first of all, not everybody who pursues marriage ends up getting married. That's just a reality of life. There, there's people that we all know who have longed to get married and, and it hasn't happened and it's not always clear why it hasn't happened. Um, other people maybe are married for a short amount of time and then their, their spouse dies. And so they, even if it's no fault of anyone, they end up having an extended time that they're not married. This doesn't mean that it's everybody's calling to get married. But what it means is that when we do get married, we have the opportunity to put the gospel on display in a special way. And it also means for all of us who are married that we need to view our marriages not just sort of as a way that I'm trying to get my felt needs met, but a way that I'm putting the gospel of Jesus on display based on how my spouse and I relate to each other. So that, that's a good reason to get married because it shows off the gospel. Second reason to get married is that marriage in a unique way refines us of our selfishness. Now, I, I want to bring clarity because some people will say, you know, sort of um, trials uh, make you stronger. Trials don't necessarily make you stronger. Suffering doesn't necessarily make you stronger. Trials and suffering give you the opportunity, provide the opportunity for growth and for endurance and strengthening, but it's based on what you do with it. The same is true of marriage. Marriage does not automatically mean that you are going to become a less selfish person. 
But if you're going to stay married or you're going to have any kind of harmony in marriage, it is going to require you to be a less selfish person. Um, now, now, somebody might want to say, well, but, but isn't that kind of true of all relationships, of, of friendships, and even of roommates and things like that? Don't, don't all of those sort of refine you of your selfishness? And it, it's true to a degree, not the same degree to which marriage does this, because in marriage, you are bound to one another, and sort of your, your destinies are bound to one another in a much more all-encompassing way. If you have a friend who's making poor decisions, you may be frustrated about that, you may be sad, you might be burdened about that, but your plight financially, socially, and all these different ways is not bound up in your friend's bad decisions. It is with your spouse. Even if you have a roommate who's frustrating and difficult to live with, at the end of the day, you are not bound to them in the same way. When you're married, your lives are so intertwined that it puts you in a position where you have your selfish desires consistently exposed and you have consistent opportunities to put those to death for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of the other person. And, and sometimes the, these are not even on really big picture decisions like where are we gonna live and you know, sort of like who, who's gonna stay home with the kids. It, it can be in big picture decisions like that, but it's sometimes it's just in basic things of like, well, well who's gonna do the dishes? And like, all right, you know, he, he really likes this kind of food and not this kind of food. And she really likes this kind of activity and not this kind of activity. It, it gives a unique opportunity for us to be refined of our selfishness. Um, that there are people that don't wanna get married because there is this sense of, of saying like, well, I'm afraid I'm gonna sort of lose myself in the other person. And I don't wanna act like there's zero sort of valid concern about that this does happen sometimes where you can look at somebody and say, I don't even know if they know who they are. They're, they're just, they, they sort of have become um, a person in relation to their spouse and, and they sort of have lost themselves. I, I'm not saying that it's impossible for that to happen, but I think we're overly concerned about that happening. And I think the good that can happen is that we can die to ourselves much more easily if we're put in the position where we're saying, if I don't die to myself in some ways, I'm gonna lose my wife or I'm gonna lose my husband, or at least I'm gonna lose their affection, I'm gonna lose their respect, I'm gonna lose harmony in my home. It gives a unique opportunity to cultivate selflessness because you're really tied to this person. Um, I, I did a reaction video on something a, a couple of weeks ago where somebody was talking about the whole idea of like not wanting to be stuck. You, you shouldn't wanna, it, nobody should have to be stuck in marriage. And I 100% disagree. I think that you should consider yourself appropriately stuck. That's what gives the opportunity to, to work through issues, to say, hey, we better figure this out because we're stuck together. And Karina and I sometimes will jokingly, maybe not always totally jokingly say like, all right, well, you're stuck with me. We, we better figure this out because otherwise it's gonna be pretty frustrating. There's an appropriate sense of saying, hey, we're stuck with each other. We are bound together. Our destinies are bound together because we're married. So we're gonna figure this out. And that's gonna mean each of us is gonna have to put to death our selfishness. And that's something that God wants to do in all of us. And marriage creates the, the most intensive opportunity for that to happen. So that, that, that's a second good reason to get married. Um, a third good reason to get married is that marriage gives the best opportunity to understand the opposite sex. Now, some of you are gonna be like, hey, I, I'm a guy, I grew up with sisters, or I'm a girl and I grew up with brothers. 
that that's great. That that does give a unique opportunity. We we all, you know, every man knows some women, every woman knows some men. So so I'm not saying that it's the only opportunity to learn about the opposite sex. It is the best opportunity to learn about the opposite sex. And, and I'll say for me, a, as a pastor, um, I am a, a much better shepherd to the women in our church that that I get to interact with because of being married to Karina. And because I've just had to understand some things about how women and men are different and understand some values that um, aren't always universal amongst women, but but are near universal amongst women. Um, there, there's something that, that, there's a phrase that I've used more than a couple times when I've talked to men at our church who are frustrated with their wives. And um, sometimes I'll be talking to a guy and his frustrations with his wife. I'm like, well, this, this is legitimate. You, you've got a hard... You got a hard situation, but frequently the complaints that I experience men having about their wives are just sort of like, it, it, in fact, the phrase I frequently use is, it sounds like you married a woman. Like you do recognize right now your complaints where you're like, ah, like she, she wants me to talk about my feelings all the time. And like, you know, she's very sensitive. She's not like my guy friends that I can just kind of joke around with. Like she's, you know, sensitive and has her feelings hurt more. I'm like, yeah, it's, uh, so that kind of sounds like a woman. It sounds like you've married a woman and you have a unique opportunity, not only to love this woman, but you have a neat, unique opportunity to respond in more healthy ways to the women that God has placed into your life because you have this woman that you have to figure it out with. Or if you're a woman, that you have this man that you have to figure it out with. I, I've had fewer opportunities, but, but a few opportunities with women in our church to sort of say the same thing to them if they've been complaining about their husband, which once again, sometimes the complaints are are totally valid and and are a big deal. But sometimes the complaints are like, yeah, that that's every man. Like what you just described there, that that's just a man. It, you know, if you were to leave this man and get another man, you'd realize that you'd be dealing with the same things. It's a unique opportunity for us to learn about the opposite sex, which has great benefits in our life in general. It's gonna make us better to the people that God has placed into our lives. And it's gonna make us more able to function as brothers and sisters within the church. So once again, I'm not saying that if you're a lifelong single, you can't possibly relate well to the opposite sex. What I'm saying is there is no better training ground for this. There is no better situation to equip you for this than marriage. It is the best, most intensive way that you're just forced to learn how to adjust to and interact in a healthy way with someone of the opposite sex. So that's the third reason to get married. Um, a fourth reason to get married is that marriage, um, and once again, going along with marriage, child raising, provides the greatest discipleship opportunity that any of us will ever have. Um, we are all, we, we as the church today, those of us who are believers today, we are as a collective, as a group, we are entrusted with passing the gospel along to the next generation. Now, some of you listening to this, you may be at the grandparenting stage. And so the, the way that you're doing that is by your interactions with your grandparents or uh, with your grandchildren, um, or you're in Life Kids and you're, you're serving in children's ministry in some way, but, but you're involved in it in that way. Um, you don't have to be a parent. Some of you are, are singles or you're, um, you're married that don't have kids, but you still have the opportunity to, to do this through the local church and through maybe nieces and nephews or other people that you're interacting with. Um, there is no more intensive, more, more focused opportunity for discipling the next generation in Jesus than parenting. 
man, if you have those kids, you are the single greatest influence on their lives. You have the opportunity to shape them in a way that is so different than anybody else that you're discipling, where you're meeting up once a week and going through a, a booklet and talking through things, which is all great. The idea that you're living life day in and day out with these children, which brings up... I. It's tricky when we talk about um, Christian couples that maybe want to get married and not have children. And so what I want to say is you can't read the Bible and say, um, well, it's a sin for a married couple, for a Christian married couple to decide not to have kids or or to sort of intentionally try not to have kids. Um, it, I'm, I'm not claiming that. It would be wrong to claim that. There, there's no verse in the Bible that says you must do this. When it says be fruitful and multiply, it's, it's not a mandate that every single person has to participate in that in the exact same way. Um, but what I would say is that uh, it, I think it's highly likely that if you're a Christian couple and you're intentionally deciding not to have kids, it's highly likely that that's not the best decision. Um, I remember talking to um, somebody who's a part of our church, this was a, a couple of years ago, and uh, um, talking about, you know, he and his wife were trying to decide, do we try to have kids now? And the the factors that were involved in it were career and were questions of how was this going to affect career, in particular her career, because even in our much more egalitarian culture, it, it still is going to be, uh, you know, the the mom is going to at the very least be on some level of maternity leave. And then often um, she takes up more of the uh, more of the bulk of the, the care for the child, which um, I, I think is good when that happens. And, uh, and, and I was sort of, I was trying to be sympathetic and trying to show understanding to the fact that there were real factors. And what I ended up saying to him sort of at the end of the conversation is, uh, here's why I'm advocating that you have children. I'm like, I want couples like you to have kids. I want couples like you to raise kids. I want there to be human beings in the world who are raised by you. I want human beings in the world who are raised by Christian parents. Um, I remember, you know, the, there are some people that almost are talking about sort of the, you know, we're, we're going to outbreed the secular people in the culture because they're not having kids, but religious people still are having kids. I'm not 100% saying that. What I'm saying is, if I got two people who are committed to Jesus, I want them discipling the next generation. And the best way for them to disciple the next generation is to have children. So it is the best opportunity to disciple the next generation. And that also puts the onus on any of us who are parents with kids in the home to make sure that what we are doing is not just trying to sort of provide the world with stable workers, but that we are looking to raise passionate Jesus followers in how we're shaping their lives. That's the fourth reason to get married and to have kids. And finally, the fifth reason to, to get married um, is that marriage provides the healthy, appropriate expression of your sexual desires. Um, this is not the only reason to get married. And, and if you're looking at it and you're saying, well, I'm the only, like I kinda wanna stay single, but I really wanna have sex or I really wanna figure out a way to have sex where it's appropriate and not sinful, so I better just go ahead and get married. What I would say is that's not reason enough. That, that, like that, uh, I would hesitate on that. You've got to make sure you understand what you're getting into because your partner is is not just the person that you get to have sex with. There's much more involved in this. But the Apostle Paul, at a couple points in 1 Corinthians seven, 
bring this brings this up as a legitimate reason to get married. He says, hey, it's better to get married than to burn with passion. He says, self-control is really difficult in this area, so this is an appropriate expression of sexual desire. And it's more than just saying, hey, I've, I've got sort of these, these feelings and, the, and this tension inside of me and I need a release for it. it. It's the opportunity to say, God has created us as sexual beings. And it's not that you have to have marriage and sort of a sexual relationship within marriage to be a full human. Jesus lived as a celibate man. The apostle Paul, there, there's a lot of speculation that he was married and that he was widowed and then lived as a single man. We, we don't know that, but for at least the, the bulk of Paul's ministry that we know about, he was a single man at that point and, and seems to not have any children. Otherwise, it's, it's, it would seem surprising that they weren't mentioned. So the matter is not saying you can't live a fulfilled life without having sex. But the idea is that this is part of how God has created us. And, and for most of us, again, the, the norm, the assumed norm is that marriage is the place for the appropriate expression of that, which is a part of who we are. So it's not reason enough to say, well, definitely get married if you have sexual desires because you can't control yourself and you need to just have somebody that you can have sex with. The, the idea though is this is part of how God has created us. And it's a legitimate reason to pursue marriage to say that there's this part of myself that I want to be able to share with somebody else in a beautiful way. That, that as a man, I wanna be able to share with a woman in a way that reflects the love of Jesus for his church. As a woman that, that I wanna be able to do this in a way that I'm, I'm giving myself away uh, to this man in a way that reflects how the church gives herself away to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, these five reasons, for, first of all, this isn't exhaustive. You, you could come up with other reasons to get married. Um, and also these five reasons aren't saying that therefore every Christian should pursue marriage and children. But what it is saying is that there are some good reasons. There are some reasons why marriage is important. And there are some reasons why marriage I believe amongst Christians should be the norm, sort of the presumed norm. But what we should be doing is whether we're single for a period of time or a longer extended period of time, we should look at that as God's current calling for us and look to use that singleness to the best of his glory and the mission he's called us to. And if he calls us into marriage, we should see that as our mission, as tied into our mission, that a big part of our mission is having a marriage that reflects Christ in the church and having child raising where we're raising disciples of Jesus and where we're being refined of our selfishness and when we're practicing sexuality in a healthy, God-honoring way. What we don't wanna do is get bogged down in the argument of which one makes you more happy. What instead what we wanna deal with is which one is fulfilling God's calling for you for this time. This is a big topic, so I, I know, like I said, that there's a lot that could be said on this that I didn't say in this particular episode. So if you have questions, if you want to even suggest a follow-up, like do another episode and talk about this more this time, that, that's all great. I'd love to interact with that feedback. Um, you can find this episode and other episodes of The Christian Contrast on our YouTube channel for Life Bible Fellowship Church. And you can also find them all on our website for our church, lbf.church. Um, we put out new episodes every two weeks, and so I do go back and check those. And sometimes we make decisions based on what episodes we're gonna do based on the comments that we get um, on the YouTube videos. And so I really do go back and look at those and I appreciate any feedback that you give. So thanks so much for taking the time to listen. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.